When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm so glad to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show. Our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. Do you know what today is? It's Fun Friday for me. You know why it's Fun Friday? I get to hear how much I messed up in today's Clark Stink segment. And later, I've talked about Zenny Optical for years and years and years is a place to get ultra inexpensive prescription glasses. Well, they've fallen in the eyes of Consumer Reports. I'm going to talk about them and other alternatives later in this podcast. But right now, it's time for Clark Stinks. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. Clark, when you encourage people to buy used cars, you should suggest that they buy roadside assistance from AAA. I've driven used cars and beater cars for years with confidence with them. We also bought a membership as a gift for my daughter, Steve. Steve, thank you. All right, so AAA is like in reserve, car breaks down. You can have a, a tow for so many miles for free. You can have roadside assistance. But there is a caveat I need to point out that we've had a number of complaints about, and that is AAA has different operating clubs around the United States. And some of them are brutal if you make what they decide are too many claims in too short a period of time. We recently had a complaint from someone who had been a member of AAA for decades, never had a claim, had a car that kind of started misbehaving had four toes, and was permanently expelled from the AAA. So you got to know the rules with your local AAA affiliate. But if it works for you and they don't kick you to the curb, it is cheap insurance for roadside misadventures. Clark, you stink like a porta potty in the summer. That's smelly. Gross. You continually tell your listeners not to provide Social Security numbers at doctor's offices and other medical facilities. Right. You further suggest that listeners provide a fake social security number, which is illegal. How is providing a social security number to doctors who are billing you after the fact not a legitimate use of the social security number? They are extending your credit as you are not paying at the time of service. How is this any different from applying for any other form of credit? Your personal information can get stolen anywhere. Remember the Equifax breach? Stop telling your listeners to cheat doctors and do something that's illegal. Derek in New Jersey. Derek, thank you for this. So roughly half of all data breaches in the United States are in medical facilities. Doctors, medical facilities, hopefully are really busy with all their efforts going into providing care to the patients. The problem is that a real weak link in the medical industry has been properly securing data. 
So it is dangerous to the extreme for a consumer to give the social security number. Now, you stated yourself in your post uh, confirming what I've said. The only reason doctors want and facilities want your social security number is to come after you with a debt collector. And the risk to the patient is so severe when that social security number is stolen in a medical breach that it's not a good idea to give that social security number. So on this one, we both agree why the social security number is used, but the danger to the consumer is so great that I don't want people to give it. I think most doctor's offices I'm going to now too, they collect, they run it through insurance and see what my estimated payment is. And I pay that at when I'm there and then they file later. I don't have a problem with that on a credit card, you know? Right. And it is common now that there's a direct link between a, a medical office and the insurance company for the insurance you have. And as Krista said, they have that estimate and uh, I have a medical test next week. They have already billed me and I've already paid the estimated amount that insurance will not cover. Clark pushes mandatory enrollment in 401k plans. My 19-year-old daughter's summer internship enrolled her, so we stopped it and pulled out the money rather than leaving an orphan account dangling out there so there can be a downside. We do help her max out her Roth every year, a much smarter place for saving when your tax rate is near zero, James. James, thank you. That's why so many employers don't cover you in a 401k till six months or a year to eliminate the problem for summer interns. You did exactly the right thing. My son, hearing about a plasma shortage in our area, started donating plasma once a month, several months ago. After hearing you say on your May 10th podcast, money received for donating plasma is taxable, and yes, you have to provide your social security number, I mentioned to my son to consider this income source in his tax planning. He gave me a puzzled look and said, Dad, one of the first questions I asked was if the payment was taxable. They told me the IRS classifies this as a non-taxable cash gift, and it's not taxable. Which is it, Clark? Whose tax advice stinks, yours or the plasma centers? And so, I did research this. And it, I thought it is taxable. Do you it's, find the it's opposite? Taxable. No, it is taxable, but the way it works is the typical payments don't add up to enough where the plasma centers don't have to send. 600 and, bucks. Yeah, right? you don't have to get a, a 1099. You won't get one likely from them. So you're supposed to, on your own, keep track and okay. file a form 1040SE with the IRS. And oh, that's pay an the, ugly form. Pay the Social Security and Medicare taxes. Yeah, that's 15.3%. So the book answer is it is taxable. The real life answer is usually people don't pay tax on it. Would that be the right way to say it? Sounds good. You don't stink, but I just read this article criticizing the Roth IRA. It gives a couple of reasons, but basically says taxes paid from a working household income could be around 22% whereas a retiree's household income might be much less and states that percentage could be around 4.2%. So basically you're paying 22% tax rate today to save 4.2% in retirement. What are your thoughts on this? Jeremy, that's from Jeremy. Jeremy, we are running, as we just heard with all the talk about the debt limit, we are running huge deficits in the United States. We have not had the maturity as a population or as elected officials 
to only spend what's coming in. And what happens when you do that, as we know in our own lives, eventually the bill comes due. Tax rates now are, for the promises we're making to people, are historically low. Ultimately, I believe the United States is going to be forced to deal with deficit spending. It's my estimation that tax rates will likely be higher in the future. The thing you brought up, that in retirement, people are in lower tax brackets than they are while they're working, generally has not turned out in recent decades to be empirically factual. That it's not truly worked out that way. If, in fact, it was true, in the example you gave of 22% later in life and retirement being an effective tax rate of 4%, then obviously doing a traditional 401k, even doing a traditional IRA would be better than doing a Roth IRA or doing a Roth 401k. But seldom are the numbers going to be like that, not even close. Clark, as far as I'm concerned, you walk on water, but my olfactory bulbs wilt every time you promote Walmart. You often tout Walmart and dollar stores as shining examples of capitalism's benefits, but actually they exact a huge toll from society. They monopolize their markets and engage in antitrust activities that end up driving small businesses from farms to grocery stores out of existence, especially in rural and lower income communities. Clark, shoppers with means like you, like myself, and like many others should do all they can to support local businesses that pay a living wage, compete fairly, and contribute to the unique character of a community. Respectfully, please stop trying to save a few cents or even a few dollars when you don't even need to and when you end up contributing to the demise of our quality of life, Ken. That's a hard one because I love small business and I love entrepreneurs. I also believe that the overall income that people carry in life is ultimately the quality of life they have, the improvements in their lives ultimately are due to free enterprise, free market capitalism. I know that free enterprise and free market capitalism are suspect with so many people, not just in the United States, but around the world right now. People have lost a certain amount of faith in the free market. I believe that What happens is that when you allow straight-out unfettered capitalism is that the efficient provider succeeds, and that also creates the environment that the small business person comes up with a new way of doing things, creates that new business. In the example of Walmart, Walmart to me is one of the most successful anti-poverty programs we've ever had worldwide in the countries that Walmart's in, including the United States. And yes, Walmart's become a behemoth, but it started off as a tiny retailer in Arkansas. I think Arkansas is where the first store was. So this is a hard one for me because if you look micro and you see the individual store owner who doesn't survive because of uh, Walmart or Dollar General or whatever, it is terrible and tragic for that individual, but ultimately people's ability to get goods at the most efficient price gives them a higher standard of living in their lives. And so that's really where it's at for me. And that's why economics, as I've said from time to time, 
is referred to as the dismal science. It is your echoing of consumer reports that smells like reheating fish in a microwave. The 100 rated sunscreen isn't that score in my book. It doesn't absorb and leaves me with slimy, obviously white marks on my skin, even after thoroughly rubbing it in, rare for a chemical sunscreen. And then you have to work hard to get it off, even five plus hours later in the shower. I'll finish the bottle, but never, never, not ever buy another. Jay in the sunshine state. All right, the number one was it. The Trader Joe's? I can't remember if it was that or... We'll have to look again, but... Okay, but uh, the point is that you bought the one Consumer Reports said was best, gave an unheard of perfect 100 score to, and for you, it's junk. Yep. (laughs) You don't stink like a fresh pile, but there's still a day-old aroma on this one. Listening to your discussion on buying tires from a big box store and the issues they have due to their volume... Twice when needing tires, I've checked the sale price at Costco, but then called my local car dealer, and each time they have matched the Costco price with a much faster service than waiting in that long Costco line. Each time the dealer was able to install and balance the tires to my auto specifications with much better customer service experience, Danny. And then I'll read this one too. Just because it wasn't mentioned on the most recent segment of Clark Stinks, I want to say that Costco tire centers do have the ability to make appointments online. The site is costcotireappointments.com. Using their appointment site has significantly reduced my tire service turnaround time. Thanks, Justin. The tire thing is really, how many weeks in a row have we had (laughs) things about uh, what I talked about with getting tires? Most of us have tires. Yeah, wow. Tires and toilet paper. Okay, you don't really stink, but I've heard you a hundred times mention all kinds of advice about rental cars. But one thing you have never mentioned is when renting a car to always make sure the rental vehicle's registration is up to date. I learned that the hard way when caught in a speed trap while driving a rental car, that it was my responsibility to make sure the registration was done correctly or I as the renter would be held accountable and given an additional ticket. But the benevolent officer only gave me the speeding ticket and nothing additional. One less thing to possibly ruin a vacation is take a few seconds and check that paperwork before you leave the rental lot. And that's from Adam in Wisconsin. If we don't have enough to worry about when we rent a car, oh my goodness. I wonder if it's enough to look at the plate or tag and see if the tax sticker is current. Maybe. I mean, look it just depends. I mean, and the vehicle. Different states do it different ways. So I think you'd have to. Just, wow. Yeah. Wow. Adam, thank you. Um, I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to do some reading on that because that's like another curveball. The rental car company is not even keeping their vehicle registrations up to date. Krista asked Clark what he would do if he had a hundred thousand dollars that he had to spend, and Clark brought up a dream of his to see Antarctica via a chartered plane to avoid the Drake Passage. I'm one listener who thinks Clark should spend the several thousand dollars on this trip if it's a dream of his. Clark, you've served so many. You're still helping us, all of us, even past typical retirement age. If this is something you'd love, go do it. I'm sure your eventual retirement won't be impacted by one frivolous trip. You can even do a show from Antarctica so you can write it off as a business expense. Pete in Boston. All and right. then So uh, you have another one on Yeah, Antarctica? regarding the Antarctica trips, you oh, make man. it sound like this Drake Passage is always huge waves. You should realize this isn't always the case, but only when storms are coming through. I was looking forward to the big waves, but it was as calm as could be when we went through. Get over it and go. It's one of the most beautiful places you'll ever see, Ken. I'm not going through the possibility of those waves. All you got to do to ruin your excitement about going to Antarctica is watch 
the YouTube videos of those waves, I can't do it. So that's why I keep having suggestions for people about ways to avoid the waves. One is to go from Australia. I didn't know that one. To go that way to Antarctica to fly over the Drake Passage and start there. But that's really expensive. But I do want to see Antarctica. So at some point, I will actually spend the money to go to Antarctica. So I appreciate I love the idea of doing a show from there because that means I get to go. You want to go to Antarctica? <laughs> I do. But if we go through the Drake Passage, I, I want someone to chain me to the bed and knock me out. No, let me tell you something. <laughs> Can they do that? I, <laughs> that learned, awesome. I learned 25 years ago, is that about when? That yeah. Krista was <laughs> yeah. not good with the transportation part of a trip. Yeah, I get, I get motion sick. I wouldn't do well with that. <laughs> so, yeah, that's not happening because... Even the flight there might be... Uh, well, now that I've learned about those new like motion sickness little, those pads you put behind your ears, those are a miracle. Really? Yeah. Hmm. They are incredible. I went on a boat trip with those on our last staff trip. And in fact, Christopher Smith, who writes for the site, his wonderful wife had them and lent me these ear patches and I felt fine. And the last boat trip before that, I really got sick. So I think I'm, but not the Drake passage. <laughs> I'd have to wear like 50 of those things. All right. We got to talk about something straight ahead. Did you know there are people who pay more than a dollar for non-prescription sunglasses? No. <laughs> people actually do that. It's true. We're going to talk about prescription glasses and sunglasses and how cheap they can be. But I need to throw an asterisk in there. I haven't had to throw in in years. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I've been talking for years and years and years about Zenni Optical. Zenni Optical, Z-E-N-N-I Optical, which now, in addition to making prescription eyeglasses in China, now has a U.S. manufacturing facility. Because one of the things that people were upset with me about was I was talking about a manufacturer in communist China and they now have one in the United States. Why did they build one in the United States? Because they wanted to be able to deliver quicker, and they now can build an automated factory that is able to nearly price compete with what the glasses would be grinding them in communist China and sending them over. So Zenni, for years, had a fantastic rating from Consumer Reports. And recently, their rating in Consumer Reports dropped from being the third best place in America to get your eyeglasses to 11th. Their score went from a great score to what I consider to be a failing score of 59. I was like, what in the world could have happened? And since this is something that so many of us are four eyes. We have to wear 
prescription glasses. And they can cost so much because of the international cartel that has run the cost of a typical pair of prescription eyeglasses into hundreds of dollars at profit margins that are insane. There's a big emphasis on my part in where you can get them that you pay a fraction of the cost of the international cartel. Who knew? Who knew that someone would figure out diabolically that you could play games with the fact that if you became worldwide versus becoming dominant in a single country, you could then dominate the market in countries all over the world. And that's what happened with the prescription glass cartel. So now what's happened anytime you try to cartelize an industry is you end up with others who have so much space to discount that it starts to take market share from the cartel. And that's what's happening step by step with prescription glasses. But in the case of Zenny, so many people are so abused in what they pay for glasses, it's impossible to believe, but they really do sell complete pairs of prescription eyeglasses, single vision, with frame, lenses and frames, starting at seven bucks plus shipping. They're not alone. There are a number of these deep, deep discounters. And Zenny seemed like you could have it all. You got the really, really inexpensive glasses, and it ranked as the third best place in America to get glasses till now. So we were puzzled because it wasn't clear from the Consumer Reports ratings why Zenny fell from third to 11th. So we reached out to them and uh, we got a statement back from Consumer Reports. They said, we updated our methodology as we are constantly evolving to be responsive to consumers. Previously, we used only overall satisfaction to provide an overall score. This year, they did weighting. I'm going to read it exactly. This year, we weighted attributes like product quality higher, which is a spot where Zenny has struggled and this contributed to Zenny's drop in our ratings, end quote. So the idea is that Zenny still is a customer service machine, but the quality of the glasses you get compared to others, not good enough. So turning to Consumer Reports again, how do you beat the cartel if you're not happy with the quality of the glasses that you'd get really cheaply from Zenny? Well, as I shared with you before, the top three places to get glasses in the United States now, according to Consumer Reports, are Costco, Warby Parker, and Sam's Club. Costco, far and away the highest score, but all three did very well, trailing those three independent eyeglass shops and private doctor's offices. But price-wise, the overall picture, which is what is now rated by Consumer Reports higher than before with glasses, I can no longer say that Zenny is number three. Sam's Club took that position from them. Costco, Warby Parker, Sam's Club. Know that the business is set up to abuse you, to rip you off. This industry is one of the most despicable industries in the world because of the cartel. People pay 
10, 20, 30 times what you need to for glasses. Pay attention to this. Go to the discounters. Go to the ones that pass the smell test with Consumer Reports and protect your wallet. If you have a vision plan at work, know that often it will steer you towards the cartel locations that charge, even after whatever your vision plan offers, charge you massive prices for your eyeglasses and frames. You don't have to pay it. You can easily get a good pair of glasses well under $100 complete. Krista? Okay, speaking of glasses, Karen in Florida says, should I purchase extended warranties on hearing aids and eyeglasses from Sam's? So I hate extended service contracts, extended warranties. I don't recommend them, and I wouldn't advise them on the hearing aids or eyeglasses any more than I would on anything else you'd buy inside of Sam's Club or another retailer. John in Virginia says, hello, I own a junk removal company in Northern Virginia, and I have a 12-year-old daughter who would like to help this summer. She has come on jobs before, and she can definitely help with the smaller items. My question is, can I pay her an hourly rate and put some of that towards a Roth IRA for her? Also, what do you think is a good hourly rate for a 12-year-old? For context, my regular employee gets paid $23 an hour. So if 23 is the baseline, I would pay her, if you think she can do two-thirds of the work of someone else on a truck, I think she can do half the work, I would do some ratio like that. So it'd be perfectly reasonable for you to pay your daughter 12 an hour, let's say, or 15 an hour. And it's to her advantage, if she's out there doing the work and she's making the company more efficient, she deserves that money. You then have lots of money to fund in a Roth IRA, and it's a win all the way around for her. And you think about a 12-year-old with that kind of work ethic, putting money in a Roth IRA in a meaningful amount from summer work, it really pays off down the road. The IRS always looks funny at a young child working, but clearly the child will be working I would shoot video on your phone that you could show the IRS if later there's ever any issue that they doubt that your 12-year-old actually is really working. Michael in Texas says, as a 63-year-old recently diagnosed with prostate cancer, I listened very carefully when Clark gave his cancer update on the podcast. The information was interesting, but it could have been more useful. He left out key points by not revealing his Gleason score or give the technical name of the MRI. This information would have been helpful in my decision-making process as to whether or not to treat or become one who practices active surveillance. Please give the information on a later update. The surgeon wants to cut, the radiologist wants to radiate, but my main goal is to remain functional with the fewest amounts of side effects. I've been listening to Clark since he gave me the confidence to transfer money across the country to an online bank. Keep up the good work. And then we had several follow-up questions as well on social, so I'm just going to read some of those. Is UCLA the only hospital that does the prostate cancer surveillance? What initiated your prostate cancer diagnosis? A high PSA? Please name the MRI again. What you're able to do yearly is not just economically possible for 99% of everyone else. Is this specific MRI machine not available anywhere else in the country or just UCLA? And can working class regular people like school teachers and Starbucks employees who have regular health insurance afford active surveillance? This is a, a great question. And 
the cost of the care I get at UCLA is not cheap, but most of it is covered by my insurance. And the reason insurance often will cover it is it's a lot cheaper for the insurance companies than somebody having surgery or radiation or some combination of treatments for prostate cancer. I want to make it clear, this is one that anytime I do a once a year update now on my prostate cancer, and anytime I do, it generates a huge wave of questions and follow-ups. So uh, just so you know, 14 and a half years ago, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. There was an indication 15 years ago I had it. Uh, how did I end up on the path? First, a high PSA is one of the questions asked. And a high PSA is not necessarily an indicator that you have cancer, but it means you may. So then what happens typically old school is you would then have a biopsy. And the biopsy, I should tell you, is not a walk in the park. It's uncomfortable. But the biopsy may find a meaningful amount of cancerous cells. Those cancerous cells are then checked by a pathologist and graded if they are cancerous. So uh, one of the questions asked by a few people was about my Gleason score. My Gleason score is 3 plus 3, 6. Generally, people that are candidates for uh, active surveillance, which is roughly somewhere about 40% of people diagnosed with prostate cancer, will have a Gleason of 3 plus 3 equals 6, or 3 plus 4 equals 7. You can also have a 7 that's 4 plus 3. 4 plus 3 is more serious than 3 plus 4. You can read about this at several medical institution sites to understand the difference in the nature of Gleason scores. Just remember that if you have a 6, you are normally an automatic perfect candidate for active surveillance. If you are a 7, the dividing line for most people in the practice of urology or oncology is that a 3 plus 4 is potentially eligible for active surveillance, a 4 plus 3 maybe not. So there are two companies working very hard to try to score some big money with one with a urine test, another with a blood test that will be able not only to determine just simply by a blood or urine test whether a man has prostate cancer, but also the genetic makeup of it. And it would take the guesswork out of who needs treatment and who does not. Both of these are in tests right now. When I, almost 15 years ago, entered active surveillance, it was not common in the United States, although it was in every other developed country. United States, if somebody was diagnosed, they immediately had surgery most often or some form of radiation. Today, the number of people doing active surveillance is way up that fit the profiles I talked about of the Gleason score. The MRI imaging I have, there are just a few places in the United States that do it, I wanted to pull up the actual name of it, and can we put this in notes because sure. I know it's so technical. It's called a 3T MRI of the prostate with and without contrast and with 3D post-processing. So they're able to get an exact mapping 
of the cancer that's been inside my body for these last almost 15 years that has not gone anywhere and not grown and not been dangerous at all. So I've not had to have any treatment, no side effects, nothing. I do it once a year so that in the event anything troubling is happening, then the protocol changes. I then have an MRI that is hyper-targeted because of the MRI I've had. Then I can have the biopsy based on the MRI. And what's neat is when they do the biopsy, it maps overlay where it is exactly where the questionable cells were. The last three years, there's been nothing for anybody to do a biopsy of because my MRI has been so clear. It's the institutions that do the level of MRI. I don't know exactly. I know Mayo Clinic does, Sloan Kettering in New York, Johns Hopkins in Baltimore. They are normally medical university-based hospital centers that do this level of work. They are trying to figure out who are the men that need treatment, who are the men that just need watching. Traditionally, in clinical practice, doctors are too busy to get involved in this level of detail, which is why it's usually at a university-based research hospital where these MRIs are done. Most of the research in prostate cancer, most of the money is going to try to save the lives of people who have aggressive forms of prostate cancer, not more mundane like I have. But the reality is those of us who have non-life-threatening prostate cancer, at least at this point, need to really consider if we should have treatment at all. And that's what this is about. And that's why having the active surveillance is a choice. So going back to the affordability issue, if you have traditional employer-provided health insurance, remember the insurers are trying to hold down their overall costs. So it is to their advantage for a man to go through an active surveillance program with sophisticated monitoring than to have somebody have surgery or radiation and then potentially have lifelong side effects after that that the insurer not only has had to pay for the treatment, but then they have to pay for the aftercare at a very high expense. So that's why insurers, if they're smart, pay for you to be properly actively surveyed so that it will save them money and their interests and yours end up exactly aligned. I know that's uh, such a specific topic, and it's why Krista put it at the very end of this podcast, because if you're not affected, that was just the most boring segment (laughs) we've ever done. If you are affected, it is anything but boring. If you go to the website of the Prostate Cancer Foundation, pcf.org, for years I was a member of the board of PCF. There's a lot of educational material there for you that you can look at that'll walk you through what is a very confusing time and know that there are people in medicine who mean well but are not up to date on because they're so busy practicing. They're not up to date 
on the latest developments. And that's why you have to be your own patient advocate with any illness, not by reading who knows what weird message boards, but go to the source, medical journals, medical association information, individual disease organizations that are research-based and read what's available there so that you can make the best decision. Do not be a sheep or a lamb. You want to make sure that you are in control making the best decisions as an informed patient. You did not go to medical school and fellowship and all that. It's true. But there's a lot you can learn so that you can ask the right questions, get the right second and third opinions, and make the right decision in your life. Because this is your health and your life we're talking about here. I want to thank you so much for being with us today. I want to remind you that we serve you all weekend long, day and night, every day of the year at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com. We are here to give you the best information that our head and our heart says is available for you and your wallet. Have a great weekend.